Well, good morning. That was all footage from our Christmas store two Saturdays ago. Uh, what a great day. Um, we at Solid Rock believe that in order to be the true church inside these walls, we have to also be the church outside these walls. And our Christmas store is just one of many examples of how um, we seek and strive to live the mission outside these walls and be the church um, in our community around us. And so um, the Christmas store, if you don't know what that is, it's, a, it's something we do every year. Um, we work with White Settlement ISD to identify families who just are struggling for whatever reason. And uh, we put together a Christmas store for them. And, and this church donates all the gifts and the families show up, no strings attached. They're able to shop for their kiddos. Um, they're able to meet folks from the church and we, we talk with them, we pray with them. Um, we share with the hope we have with Jesus with them. And it's just a, always a great time uh, for us as a church to mobilize together. Um, we had over 14 community groups from our church involved. Uh, we had the mission team who organized and put it all together. Um, I think we uh, received over $4,500 in gifts, um, and maybe even more than that, because the gifts just kept rolling in throughout the week as we were getting ready to launch the store. Um, and so, and as you saw in the video, tons of uh, members from our church who just showed up to serve. And, uh, and so it's just always heartwarming for me, encouraging to me, a reminder to me of why I love being a part of this uh, church that we call Solid Rock. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for all who showed up participated, gave in some capacity or another. So thank you for being the church. If you're new with us today, we're glad to have you. Um, my name is Jason. I, I serve as a pastor here. Um, but as I just mentioned, more importantly, I'm just a member of this church. Um, I'd go to church here even if I wasn't the pastor because um, I love this place. I love the people here. Um, and, and what I mean by that is not that this is a group of perfect people, uh, but it's a group of people who've met the perfect God and love him deeply and her, who are, are open up their lives to be changed by him. So if you're visiting with us and you're looking for the perfect church, see me afterwards. I'll give you some recommendations. It's not here. Um, but... If you're willing to bring your mess and throw it in with our messes, um, welcome. I'm glad you're here, and I hope you'll pray about making this your church home. Uh, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 in just a moment. Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, reminder, this evening at 6 o'clock is our kids' Christmas service. And uh, don't come ask me about what it's going to be about. I don't even know. I think there's going to be some music, some, some drama, but really all that stuff is, is kind of secondary to the kids just getting up here and leading us in a time of celebrating Jesus. And it, 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 it'll at least be engaging, okay? It'll at least be entertaining because when the kids come up on stage, right, nothing is predictable. So even if you don't have little ones, I encourage you just to come out and be a part of um, that experience this evening at 6 o'clock as our kids lead us in a Christmas service. And then a couple of reminders on, on times. Next Sunday is Christmas Eve. So we'll have the 10 o'clock service, which we're in right now. We'll have the 1145 service. And then we've added a 4 o'clock service in the afternoon. We won't do the 815 service um, on Christmas Eve. And then on New Year's Eve, uh, similar, we won't do the 815. We'll just do the 10 and 1145. Okay, so, so three services on Christmas Eve, but one of them is 4 o'clock. New Year's Eve, only two services, 10 and 1145. All right, so I think that is... Uh, all of the announcements. Um, let me do just a brief catch-up. So we are on the third Sunday in the Advent Sermon Series, um, A Son is Given. And we are um, walking through uh, the Gospel of Luke, um, allowing God to stir our hearts, to remind us of the deep meaning of Christmas, and to stir our affections and our hearts to worship Jesus this Christmas season. That's, that's why we're doing this. Now, um, we, we do this every year because... 
Even as Christians, we're prone to forget that. We're prone to, to, get, uh, to get caught up in the hustle and the bustle and to, to fill our calendars full of all these great Christmas activities and forget that Christmas is about Christ and about what he has done for us. And so um, this season so far, we've looked at um, Jesus was born to us um, from the prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah 9, to be a better king. That this baby born in a manger was born to be our king. King, one whom we would refer to as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace, right? And so last week we came back and, and we looked at how Jesus was called the son of David and how that, that reflects this promise that God made to David in the Old Testament that he would one day not only send a king to us, but a king who would reign forever and how God has put eternity on our hearts and what it means to be saved is that we're guaranteed eternity with him in, in heaven and that's not something we're just waiting on it's something that fuels our life today and the way we live this life with this forever perspective and today we're going to look at Jesus the son of Abraham and what that means and so just a little uh, context so last week in the gospel of Luke we were looking at this conversation between the angel and Mary and Mary was engaged to be married um, she was a virgin and so when the angel said hey you're about to get pregnant she said how can this be because I'm a virgin how's this going to work and so the angel not only said well hey God's going to do this through the Holy Spirit oh but by the way your relative Elizabeth who's barren yeah she's pregnant too right so this is not the only miracle I'm doing right now well as you can imagine we're going to pick up what with what happens next uh, Mary is not only overwhelmed with joy about what God's doing in her life she's thinking right I got to find a girl to share this with so I'm gonna go see Elizabeth we can swap stories we can get excited together have a little girl time and so she goes to her relative Elizabeth's house the scripture says that as soon as she walked in the door, because of the Holy Spirit, the baby inside Elizabeth's womb, who's John the Baptist, by the way, about six months along, he leaps in the womb, right? Because already the Holy Spirit is on him and, and all over this Christmas narrative. And so now we're going to see as, as Mary and Elizabeth start sharing, well, I heard from an angel. I heard from an angel too. And here's what he told me. Here's what he told, here's what he told me. We're going to step into Mary's song. She begins to break out with a song in verse 46. So Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his Mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Now we're going to focus in on those last two verses this morning, 54 and 55, looking at the significance that Jesus was associated with Abraham at all, let alone called the son of Abraham. The gospel of Matthew, verse 1, starts out by, by saying that. Matthew says, hey, this is what I'm writing down. It's the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
And now here in Mary's song, she's reflecting on uh, all that God did for the nation of Israel. And she lands with verse 54 saying this, that he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. So there's something about the birth of Jesus that's going to remind us of the mercy of God as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. In order to to fully understand the significance of that title, son of Abraham, we first got to understand the significance of Abraham to the overall story of God, how Abraham fits into the Bible as we read it. Now, we first read about Abraham in Genesis 12, but we get to the New Testament, and the New Testament authors are talking about Abraham a lot and his significance to the overall story of humanity. So we're going to start for just a moment. We're going to look at Genesis 12 um, at the first three verses where God speaks to Abraham for the first time. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. Now, this is a big moment for Abraham for a number of reasons. I mean, it's just a big deal when God chooses to speak anyway. But God's making some really remarkable promises to Abraham. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless other families and nations through you. Uh, But let's keep in mind, Abraham is also married to a barren wife, Sarah, who was unable to conceive and have children. So this is a big promise that God is making just to this one man in this one moment. But when we take a step back and we look at the entire story of the Bible, we're going to see that the significance of what God is promising here is huge. I think probably the best perspective um, from the Bible on the connection between Jesus and Abraham comes from the Apostle Paul, one who wasn't even at the birth of Jesus, who came to Christ many years later, maybe 35, 40 years later when the apostle Paul encounters Jesus. Yet his perspective on the significance of Jesus and his connection to Abraham is incredibly helpful such that he he writes entire chapters, Romans chapter four. The whole chapter is dedicated to explaining this connection between Jesus and Abraham and then what that means for us today. Galatians chapter 3, the same thing. Paul goes to great labors to explain how Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and how that impacts us today, 2017. Galatians chapter 3 is where we're going to go next. We're going to look at a few verses here in Galatians 3, starting in verse 5. Now remember, here's what we're after. What, What does this title mean, son of Abraham, and what does it mean for us today? Those are the two things we're after here. So in Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul in verse 5 starts with a reminder to the church. He asks a rhetorical question. He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is going to kind of be the theme of what we're going to read today. So um, Paul New Testament author, he's talking to the church and he's reminding them that they've received the Holy Spirit and that God has worked miracles in their life. We need that reminder, don't we? Okay, so he's reminding the church that, but he's asking a really critical question. Is God's Holy Spirit in you because of your good works 
or is God's Holy Spirit in you because of faith? The miracles that God has done in your life, is it because of your high morality and because of your obedience to the Ten Commandments? Or has he done those miracles in your life because of faith? And then from here, look at what he says next. Verse 6, he's going to connect this to Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, we have to stop for a minute. Righteousness, that's not a word we use a whole lot, right? Anybody kick that word around in an email or text message? We don't have an emoji for that. Like righteousness, what, is that? what does that actually mean? Well, in a, in a very literal sense, it means to be right with God. Something that I would presume most of us, if not all of us, want. I want to be right with God. But what do we mean by being right with God? To be right with God means to be able to stand in his presence as perfectly right, as though you have never been wrong, Okay. Let me just quick poll. Who's done that in your own strength? Is anybody able to stand before the holy presence of God? Let me just check real quick. No, nobody wants to raise your hand? Okay, good, right? Because we know, right? We're corrupt. We've messed up. We've, we've not always been right. We've been more wrong than right, most of us anyway. And so if God were going to base our, um, uh, our opportunity to be in his presence based on our rap sheet, we're all messed up. We all fall short, Right? And so what Paul is pointing to is, is Abraham was counted as perfectly right before God. That's a big deal. Here's why that's a big deal. Because the Bible spares no details about Abraham's failures. The very same chapter that God makes the promise to him, we find him lying about his wife, pretending that she's his sister so that somebody won't kill him and steal her from him. I mean, what a coward, right? Right? And it's not the only time he does it. He does it again. And so the Bible spares no details of of presenting Abraham to us as a man with flaws. So Paul's asking us as a church, consider Abraham, right? He was considered righteous by what? Faith. Now, that's a pretty big blessing for God to look on one person and say, you know what? Because of your faith in me, I'm going to consider you as perfectly righteous, it's a pretty big deal. But there's a theme in this, in this passage that we're reading. Let's continue on, verse 7. Now then, that know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Now stop right there. This is confusing to me. So Abraham's Genesis 12, very early on in your Bible. Jesus doesn't die until the, the beginning of the New Testament, right? And, and so the gospel then gets preached after that, right? But what Paul is saying here is that somehow the gospel was preached beforehand to who? Abraham. Did I miss something in the book of Genesis? Do you, did you remember hearing God preach the gospel to Abraham in the Old Testament that Right, That Jesus would come to earth, be born, live righteously, die, resurrect from the grave, and if we trust in him, we'll have forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Do you may, do you may catch that in the book of Genesis? Look at what he says. He says the, the, that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So what Paul is connecting here is he's saying that when God said that, that wasn't about Abraham. It was about something that was coming. 
that in that moment, the nations being blessed was a foreshadowing of the gospel. This wasn't about Abraham. It wasn't even just about his descendants. It was bigger than that, that when God made that first promise to Abraham, he was actually talking about us. The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham in Genesis 12 when God said, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse nine, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, it's not a, it's not a big struggle for me to read the Bible and come across guys like Abraham and to read about their flaws, but also to read about their faithfulness to God and, and then to read later on in the Bible about how God considered them righteous. I'm, I'm good with that. I don't wrestle with that a whole lot. Where I struggle, though, is when I try to apply that to me. That's where I begin to wrestle and struggle. When I begin to think, well, it's all fine and dandy that, yeah, Abraham's in heaven right now, standing before the presence of God. God counted him as righteous. But when I begin to apply that to my life with my rap sheet, my background, my history, my current struggles, the future struggles that I know are going to be there, I have a hard time counting myself as perfectly righteous. Anybody else? Right? And so in Romans chapter 4, the apostle Paul goes on to explain how not only is, is Abraham connected to the gospel because of the promise, but that the blessing to Abraham is actually also meant for us. That when God counted Abraham as righteous, it wasn't just Abraham he was counting as righteous. Look at Romans 4 with me, just a moment. In Romans chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1. I love this first question. Paul, it's almost like Paul just kind of can read our minds. He says, what shall uh, we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to his flesh, according to his deeds, his, his, his moral record? Paul's asking a really good question, okay? He starts this way. Hey, let's talk for a minute. What did Abraham gain? What did Abraham gain for his works, for his, his, what came out of, out of his own flesh, his own energy, his own strength? Verse two, for if Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And we get this reminder, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And now what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna give us a real practical metaphor to kind of break this down for us and what this means for each of us practically. Look at what he says next. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Don't need rocket science to figure that out, right? Almost everybody in this room works, right? And at the end of your pay period, you expect to get paid, right, for your work based on your contract, your salary, your, your hours you worked, right? It's not, you don't open your paycheck or look at your stub or go online and go, oh, my boss did it again. Another gift. Why? Because you worked for that. You deserve that and you expect to get it. That's that's what Paul's getting at here. Verse five, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted him as what? Righteousness. Here's, here's Paul's point here. When you get to the end of your life um, and, and you're, it's time for you to pass from this life to the next, what he's saying to us is, is, is that Abraham didn't get to the end and then cash in all of his good deed chips, his high morality chips, all the good stuff he had done and go and lay it before God and go, I hope that's enough. 
It doesn't work that way, right? Abraham didn't get what he deserved. Abraham got more than he deserved, right? And so what Paul's saying is this is how that applies to you. Don't wait to get to the end of your life to see if you can, your, your chips will measure up, if you can cash them in and get to heaven. Paul is saying, listen, it'll never add up. Even if you stopped sinning right now, which is a fairy tale, even if you could and spend the rest of your life doing good deeds and obeying God's law, you could never make up for the messes that you've already left behind, okay? Right? So, so here's the thing. When we get to the end of our life, listen to me right now. You don't want what you deserve. You don't want that paycheck. Right? You don't want to wait till then to find out if you're going to get into heaven or not. This is what Paul is saying. Listen, don't be the worker who waits to the end to see what, what he's going to make in the end. You will fall short. That's not what Abraham did. If he'd have done that, Abraham would be in heaven right now bragging. Right? Abraham would be in heaven looking at us going, come on, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. Do what I did. Here's how you obey the law. Boom, and he laid out for us. But Abraham wouldn't do that, would he? Abraham stands before the presence of a holy God right now, knowing that God is gracious and kind and merciful and forgives sinners. Look at verse 23. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. So God was talking about more than just Abraham. Verse 24, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What Paul is doing is he's taking that connection between Jesus and Abraham and he's breaking it down for us practically and saying, listen, that promise that God made to Abraham wasn't just for Abraham, it was for you too. That you could be counted as righteous. And this is where I tend to struggle. This is where I tend to step back and think about, wait a second, I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve his mercy in my life. I don't deserve to be called to be a pastor. Like, this is just one of the most humbling things that happens to me. I, I, I guess it's because I'm, I'm close to my hometown where I grew up, but every year I run into somebody from like high school and like, hey, where are you living at? I'm living on the west side of Fort Worth. What are you doing? I'm a pastor of a church. And they think it's a joke. They're like, ah, that's so funny. No, really, what do you do? Like, no, I, seriously, I pastor a church. And, and, right? And they're like, really? Do they, do they know? <laughs> yeah. I told them everything. And they still let you? Yeah. Like, here's my favorite response. That's how good Jesus is. I'm not standing here in this role because of my good works, my good deeds, or my high morality. It is by grace, the grace of God alone. Now listen, so many of us are struggling with that. We're, we're stepping back. We're thinking, well, I don't deserve to be used by God. Man, if I, just, if I hadn't messed up so bad, man, I really would want to be involved in ministry and the church, and I'd want to get more connected, but you know, I just really messed things up, right? If, if the church knew about my record, my rap sheet, whew, they wouldn't even let me in the doors. Listen, church, we know. We know, Right? We're scoundrels in this room. We're rebellious children in this room. We're sinners in this room. Listen, here's the gospel. God makes sinners righteous 
through faith in Jesus. That's the gospel that was being preached to Abraham way back in the Old Testament. God makes sinners righteous by faith in Jesus. Not better, right? No fixer-uppers in the kingdom. Not stepchildren. God makes sinners perfect, perfectly moral, perfectly holy. You either believe that or you don't. Abraham believed in a God who was so loving and so powerful that he could make sinners like him righteous. This is the gospel. I think the apostle Paul got this not just on a theological level, but in a deep personal level as well. I think this is what he was talking about in Philippians 3. He's kind of laying out his testimony in the first six, seven verses. He's laying out all the reasons why he used to be confident in his flesh, confident in his good works, confident in his high morality. But then look at what he says as he shares his testimony in verse seven. He says, but whatever gain I had in, right, in, my, in, my, in, in my life, um, in earning God's favor, earning God's approval, whatever gain I had in what I used to do, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I now consider them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. And look at what he says. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from working hard or being highly moral, but this righteousness that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on what? Faith. Not only was the Apostle Paul, this is kind of crazy to think about, in his younger years, he was, he was esteemed as highly moral, had pristine character, a worker of good deeds. He had earned the favor of the religious and political community he lived in. At the same time, he was the leading persecutor against the church. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul is a terrorist. I, I, just, I just dare you to, to stack up your rap sheet against the Apostle Paul, right? After he, he encounters Jesus, he's radically saved and transformed. He goes on to write most of your New Testament. It's his writings we're reading today. And so not only on a theological level did he get this connection that, 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 that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Why? Because he makes sinners righteous through faith. Here's what Paul is saying. My life case in point right? My life case in point. Right? Nobody has been more rebellious. Nobody has sought to, to be more defiant against Christ than I have, yet he loved me and has shown mercy to me and has made me righteous. And he, he just says it. Not the righteousness that comes from the law, but my righteousness comes from faith in Jesus. This is the gift of Christmas. This is the gift of Christmas. Jesus makes sinners like us, look at me, like us, righteous through faith. That is the gospel. Do not buy in to another gospel. That is the gospel. The Apostle Paul wasn't there at the birth of Jesus, but I, I think he had a significant 
insight and perspective to what the birth of Jesus means for each one of us. I want to leave you with two questions today. Um, my first question is, is really just a personal question for you to think about. Have you truly come to that place in your life where you've quit trusting in your own works, what you can do for yourself, getting your life together, and just, just taking a hold of hand of Jesus and said, hey, you do it? Have you truly come to that place of placing your faith in Jesus? In just a minute, I'm going to pray you do that today. Before you leave here today, whether you just stay seated where you're at and you spend some time praying or you grab one of our prayer partners that you would not leave here today thinking that you can become righteous in your own strength. Number two, and this is, I guess, for the vast majority of the rest of us, right? Are you truly walking in a belief that God has made you righteous? It's not just, it's not just wishful thinking. It's not for the super Christians. It's for you. And don't bring back to me, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. I don't, right? I don't know what you've done. Yeah, but it's pretty bad. I know. How do you know? Because the death of Jesus was horrific. He was paying a huge penalty for our sins. I'm just going to assume you got some messes in your background, okay? Yes, it, 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 it's for you. And so my hope for us today, especially those of us who are Christians, that today we would leave here, right, confident that God has not just made us better, but he has made us righteous. And that you've come to that place where the apostle Paul is, where you're ready to say, you know what? Everything I was trusting in before, it's all loss. It's all rubbish compared to this one thing, knowing Christ and receiving the righteousness that comes by faith. I'm gonna lead us in prayer now and I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward and uh, at the same time, I'll ask our prayer partners to come up. We'll have some at the front and some at the back. And I'm just going to pray for us and that God would, would lead us in responding now. Let's pray together. And Father, thank you for this beautiful reminder today that Christmas is so much more than just decorations and getting together and all the things that we've made it as a culture and society that today just reminded us that, that, that ultimately Christmas is about the free gift of righteousness that you give to us. And God, there's not a person in this room who doesn't need that gift. <coughs> Father, thank you that the primary message of the Bible is that you make sinners righteous through faith. God, I know that probably there are people here in this room today who've, who've never taken that first step of faith and trusted in Jesus. And I pray right now, God, you'd give um, that person the courage. If they need to talk with somebody, give them the courage just to step out of their, their, their row and to find one of our prayer partners this morning. God, I pray that um, for those of us who know you, that today would be a beautiful Reminder and, and stirring in our hearts of this amazing work you've done in our lives. That God, you've not only forgiven our sins, you've made us righteous. So now, God, we ask for your Holy Spirit. God, you would move through our hearts this morning. You would prompt us. You would guide us. You would convict us. You would heal us, speak to us. Give us the faith and the courage we need to respond this morning, we pray in Jesus' name.